Chris used to work as a truck driver hauling cars. Once he had to drive 50 hours straight to make a customer deadline. The first 20 hours were all right, Chris says. He had a system. Drinking tea with lemon juice, then Red Bull, then coffee, and a soda. And then he mixed them up. But things got really bad after that. He started seeing things in the road that weren't there. At one point he fell asleep. He woke up to the sounds of horns beeping. He drifted into another lane. Chris didn't want to do this, but he felt trapped. Chris is from Eastern Europe, and he'd been lured to the US with the promise of a high paying job in trucking. Instead, he found himself working illegally through an immigration scam. From Freight Waves, this is Long Haul Crime Log, a podcast about the dark side of the trucking industry from the journalists who cover it. I'm Nate Tabak in Toronto, Canada. And I'm Clarissa Hawes in Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm Noy Mahoney in San Antonio, Texas. Today on the show, the story of a group of truckers who alleged they were trafficked into the U.S. and forced to work dangerously long hours with little pay. Clarissa, this started after you reported on the story of another truck driver. This is a guy from Russia named Sviatoslav Likhanov. And he ended up getting into this trucking scheme after taking probably what was like the most unfortunately timed vacation ever. He and his wife had um, never been to New York and wanted to see the skyline. And um, and their baby wasn't due for another eight or nine weeks. So they decided to take a quick trip and... Um, soon after they arrived in the U.S., she went into premature labor and ended up having their their baby um, eight weeks premature. And so by the time um, doctors allowed um, the, the baby to be released from the hospital, COVID hit and they had closed the borders and he and his wife and new baby weren't allowed to fly back home to Russia because he did have a business in Russia and was still paying employees um, in Russia to, to work at the time. So this was not like, this was not this guy's intention to bring the family over and have his baby born in the U S who gets U S citizen. Like this is actually just, this is literally an ill-timed vacation in retrospect. Yes. And because, yeah, he said that, you know, they would have been able to make it if they if he didn't continue to pay his employees or his workers in Russia. But he felt an obligation to them. But but eventually uh, the money ran out because all over the world, you know, company, you know, countries were shutting down and there was no work and. So he started going around to, you know, some of the charity organizations to ask for help because they were stranded here and were kind of turned down. So their options were to be on the streets with a, a baby that had just been released from the hospital or um, he started looking online to see what was available and came across a YouTube video um, with, um, you know, with someone that said, you know, this is a way to make, you could make 2,500 or $3,000 a week driving for these, this 
Chicago-based trucking operation. And so all he needed was a New York driver's license, which you can take um, orally. He said, um, you know, he took the learner's per, you know, permit test and it was in Russian. And, and so he took the test and eventually headed to Chicago. And within a few days, he was in training and working for this carrier. What, so Likadov got, got this job. And so he's starting to, to haul cars for a living. And this is basically where you have like a big pickup truck and then it's a, a trailer attached with all these cars. So like, how is this, how is this work for him? Uh, how did it start? He started out with a trainer for a few days and then eventually he was given the keys and given his own truck and, you know, given an auto trailer and started hauling cars and, and they would send him the locations where he was going. But, um, the, the big thing was that, you know, he was going to be paid $50 a day during his training period and then once he was done, then he was going to get the promise of that $2,500 a week payday. And it never happened. Like he fell further in the hole. You know, he was negative on, on his money. And he, and so he, um, he continued to drive as long as possible and his wife and newborn son moved into a house that was owned by these, this trucking company family. And, and so he felt like he couldn't refuse loads that he couldn't say, Hey, I'm tired or I need my paycheck. So he was barely surviving on the road. And in, in their, and these are hotshot operations where they're like Ford, you know, F-350 pickup trucks with a auto hauler trailer. And so in the back seat, some of them take those out and make that, that's their, like kind of their sleeper berth where they rest at truck stops. Is it why, why is this not done with like a normal, uh, like commercial uh, tractor uh, or commercial truck? Like, why is this done with, like, a pickup? Because it seems like, you know, you've got, you're hauling all those cars that you should have some, like, a more substantial vehicle in someone with, like, a special license. Like, why is this able to be done with, a, like, a regular vehicle? Because they don't want to go through the CDL process where you have to be proficient in English um, to, uh, to, to get your CDL. And so when you get a class C license, which um, a lot of these drivers have, um, you don't have to go through the drug testing process and other um, measures to get your license. So a lot of hotshot in operations go this way. And are these operate? I mean, are these operations, are they legal? Like, is it legal to be doing this in, in the U S where you, I mean, you have all, all of these, I mean, they're quite, they can be quite substantial loads, I would think. Right. Um, oftentimes these drivers were cited and, and it's a, a long history of, 
um, where they were overweight. And, and at first, you know, they had very little knowledge of the federal regulations in the U.S. because coming from Ukraine and Russia, they said that, you know, it was kind of an outlaw type situation that anything goes. And so to come here and, and to be told, oh, no, you don't need this, you don't need that. Um, then they started, you know, when they would go into truck stops, some of the truck drivers were not very nice to some of these guys. And, and so, um, Lukanov, he went, he asked, you know, why, why they were upset with him. And they said, because, you know, we have to pay for insurance. We have all these things we have to drive within a certain, we only have a certain number of hours to drive. And here you are, um, you know, like, you know, driving 20 hours a day, you know, which, you know, we can't compete, you know, economically. And so then he started under, you know, they started educating him more about the federal regulations regarding trucking, which he, which he says he and other drivers were never really informed of. And so he was, I guess, coming at this with a somewhat different perspective than say maybe another, another driver who is, uh, you know, brought in from, from abroad where he kind of sort of, I mean, I don't know if accidentally is the right word, but it's not, he was someone in a, in a good place in his life place economically and just in this kind of unusual set of circumstances is is sort of thrust into this and so he's kind of I guess he's looking at this almost through through a little bit of a different lens and is that does that maybe you know explain do you think why he's not just sort of like going along with this and maybe asking questions that maybe others wouldn't yes and you know he was willing when I talked when I spoke to him and we've talked several times, he was, he said, I want my name, um, you know, mentioned in this article. I don't want to go by an alias or, or anything because I want people to know that this happened and that I'm not making this up and that I'm not, well, while he has been in hiding that he said, I'm not going to lie about, what happened to me. And if I'm not willing to put my name behind that, then that might, it means nothing. And, and so he was willing, um, you know, to come forward with his story. What ended up happening uh, with, with Likonov? He sees that there's some problems with what's going on. He's finds himself. So he's found, so Likonov, he basically finds himself working all these hours but he's owing money and then he's learning some things at like truck stops that, Hey, this actually is not, this actually is not how it's supposed to be. Uh, he took it. He actually took these concerns to his employers. Right. Right. And it was in like these private Facebook groups that he started asking questions about federal regulations and, the number of hours that you could legally drive in a day. And um, he said that other truck drivers don't um, drive seven days a week and 20 hours a day. 
and he was told basically to shut up and don't complain because his wife and his son were still living in a house owned by the trucking company owners. So then, you know, that fear of, you know, if he refuses a load or says he's tired, that, you know, something could happen. And so when he started talking to other drivers privately off of these um, private Facebook groups, they were telling him even after six months, because they, they said after six months, you will get all this back pay that you are owed, um, you know, just for completing this six month period. And then he was told by drivers that it won't happen. You won't get it. And there will be more deductions and they'll find more ways to, um, you know, to, you know, deduct from your pay and you will still owe. And so he, you know, that was like his breaking point. You know, he had delivered a couple cars. He had gone to the office and spoke with the owners. They displayed weapon <laughs> weapons that made him feel like he couldn't question, you know, the company's business practices. So he, he still had one car on his trailer and that day he called his wife and had her start packing up their belongings and he picked her and his new son up and they drove to, um, the Trump International Hotel and Tower in downtown Chicago. And he wrote in washable paint, which he always, um, he always maintains that he planned to wash off to um, gain attention about what was happening to these drivers. He said that if he was, if nobody else, um, where he was in a p position at that time, he thought the borders would reopen soon and he'd be able to go back to Russia, but it didn't end up happening. But he felt like he was in a better financial position if he was able to go back to, um, you know, to to talk about what was happening to these other drivers. So what it's like what happened to after he like he left his car in front of the Trump International Hotel. Um, I guess what he says is that um, the GPS, there was a GPS tracker on his truck and um, that they located him. Like his wife had gone like across the street to get some food, fast food. And he waited in the truck with his newborn son who was in the car seat and that an employee of this trucking company um, tried to pull him out of the truck and um, that he had a seatbelt on and that when this employee saw his son in the car seat, he ran off, but that the police, he returned and um, he, um, he, they helped him remove all of his belongings from the vehicle into their police cars and they moved them to a hotel for the night. But 
he continued to see receive threatening messages throughout the night. And um, so then he, the next morning, he claims that he spoke with federal authorities about um, the situation at these companies and, and their business practices. And then he left the state and he's been kind of on the run since. So Clarissa, what? What happened after your article about Likhanov got published last week? Well, more drivers came forward who work for either um, the Cherbenenko family or relatives of of this family, and who said they were they faced similar situations and agreed that they never were promise they were never they never received what they were promised and so some you know were in the hole so much that they they knew that they were never financially going to be able to crawl out of it so they quit and you know left the state uh, and and so then now they're kind of stuck in in limbo where they don't have the financial means to go back to their home countries. You know, some, you know, were trying to follow where they'd be here for six months and then go back, you know, that they would make enough money in, you know, six months that would, that would be more than they would make in a year and a half in their home countries. And um, then that didn't happen. So now, you know, there was that, well, you can self, you can report, you know, like a self-deportation or something that you can, but, but yet you still, so then some say that their reputations have been tarnished in their home countries by, you know, these families or their relatives you know, that, you know, word gets back about the, you know, f- made false information or whatever, but they don't know what to do. They don't feel safe here, but they don't feel safe going back home. So they really don't know what to do. And some find themselves in a similar situation where they think they find, oh, there's another company, you know, from the same city or same country that I'm from, and then they're involved in a similar type scheme where these drivers are promised um, thousands of dollars a month, but it doesn't, they never see it. Has, uh, Clarissa, has the, uh, anyone from the uh, Chebenenko family um, responded to these allegations? Like what's their, what do they, what's their, position on this? They have not. Um, some of their employees have um, have responded uh, by posting on the original article or in other or on Facebook posts, but um, the the family has not. But um, you know, just from talking to other drivers, they they, they have said, oh, you know, they they see the comments and they screenshot them and sent them to me. And they're like, 
this is a manager of one of the companies. This is, you know, so-and-so that um, it handles like the, the logbook um, situation for drivers who are out of hours. And, and so that's the only way that I've received any communication from, from the family. And, and how is it that these drivers are able to, um, to actually do these really long hours, uh, considering that they're, um, you know, violating, uh, hours of service rules? Well, um, the drivers have said that, um, that there's, um, you know, like, um, Lakhanov called it like the boss control center, um, in Ukraine that he would get texts from, and it was confirmed by other drivers that they would receive a text message saying, Hey, you're getting short on hours. Um, stand by. Let me let me fix fix that for you. Will that be enough time? And even though the drivers said they wanted to say no, that they wanted to stop, they didn't feel like they could um, say no. So um, it, they some have reported that they were using um, Easy Log system to. Um, but you know, Easy Log says that there's no way to in- manipulate the hours, the driving hours. But um, some of the truck drivers say that you know they were receiving calls and that and that their hours in the app or whatever were were changed. So um, you know, it's you know. Easy Log says that they do what is required by the FMCSA through their self-certification process, but and and that it there's no way that it could happen. But you know, several drivers say, "Oh yeah, it, you know it that if you were on a certain route, they figured how many hours you needed to get these autos automobiles to a customer that." Um, that they they made sure you had enough hours to do it, whether you are legally allowed to drive or not. Is is there any? Um, I mean, what kind of recourse do do drivers in this kind of situation have? I mean, it it, it seems like there's so many, you know, red flags and things that maybe are potentially illegal here. Um, like where. Who should like if they wanted to report this to someone? Who do you report this to, aside from a journalist? <laughs> right. Um, some said that they um, submitted statements to federal investigators. Um, some were told to report the allegations to the FMCSA, and some talked to local authorities about you know, the alleged violations, but so far um, they claim that the owners, you know, will shut down the company if it has too many 
you know, safety violations and then they'll change, you know, officers and, and everything. And then we'll restart another company. But, you know, like I know under FMCSA regulations, if you have a common ownership in, in a company that you're required, you know, you have to sign a statement saying that you have a relationship with the previous, um, you know, carrier that was that was under FMCSA authority, but I wonder if that really if that really happens in these cases. So, Clarissa, what what do drivers like Likanov hope to get out of this? You know, publicity to get out of this situation. Do they want to go home, or do they want to stay here in the United States and work as truck drivers what you know have they talked about that i've talked to a few of them i can't i can't go into what Lickenoff is doing now but some of these other drivers have that they, they're kind of in limbo they are working for some are working for companies not really in the trucking industry but maybe in the construction field um, or something along those lines. And some of those, so some of those companies also have ties over to Eastern Europe, but they're doing that because um, to try to save money to go home, or it's still the question if they will be able to go home, you know, once they have left these carriers and, you know, and raise allegations that they are owed money. Um, in some cases, word gets back to their home countries. And so, you know, they're unsure of their next move. And with COVID um, and all the borders were being shut down for so long, um, now some of them have overstayed um, their visas and are afraid of what will happen if they if they self-report that they are you know that that they are overdue and i guess is there concern that they might end up in like immigration detention or something like that yes and i mean it's it seems like that's a that's a valid concern right yes yeah they it hasn't been explained. You know, there's a lot of talk about with the new administration, what will happen and everything. But yeah, there there is a big concern about if they, you know, self-report and say, hey, you know, COVID, um, I was planning to go back in six months, but, you know, then COVID happened and now the borders were closed and I wasn't able to and I've overstayed you know, my visa and I would like to go home, but yeah, that it is the fear that they yeah. would be put in a detention center. And I guess there's, there's also the issue of even regardless of the status of their visa, if they've been doing engaged in uh, like been employed in a way that is in violation of that, the terms of that visa, like if you come here on a visa, a visitor visa, you can't really work. Um, largely, right. legally, 
you're you're sort of inherently you're in violation of that. And I think it's a question of what would what happens if you I mean, I guess ideally this is one of those cases where you probably want to have a lawyer, but lawyers cost money. You know, how do you present yourself in a way that, that doesn't get yourself into more trouble? So like what are these like what are these drivers doing, you know, in the meantime as they're trying to figure out what's what to do next? Yeah, some are, I, I mentioned earlier, are working in kind of construction field um, with, with you know, people that they know from their home countries that have businesses here. Um, some are, um, you know, working in, you know, electrical fields here. Do you have, a, I mean, a, a sense of, you know, how big of an issue this is in the, the trucking industry in terms of are there, you know, a lot of these companies out here that are that are engaged in these, um, you know, potentially illegal immigration practices and, you know, and, and sort of forcing drivers into these, you know, it's almost like indentured servitude. I, when I talked to Chris, I asked him, it, because some of these companies only um, list on their FMCSA company snapshot that they have like five drivers, but um, they're really, they call them employees, but they're 1099 um, contractors. So they're deducting all this insurance and all of this other stuff that was never explained to these drivers coming from uh, these Eastern Bloc countries. What could happen to that, the Chabanenko family? I mean, could they, are they breaking laws? I mean, or is it possible they could go to jail? What, you know, of course, what do you, have you heard anything in, along those lines? Well, I know that um, Ina Chabanenko is facing, um, she's scheduled to be sentenced in July for her involvement in a, scheme where um, they had posted these used cars on Craigslist that were actually um, refurbished vehicles, but that wasn't disclosed. So um, they thought that these were, um, you know, and she has pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud that um, she that they concealed that these vehicles had been rebuilt instead of used vehicles. And um, so uh, uh, the prosecutors claim that the, that she and others forged Indiana paperwork to obtain like titles deeming these vehicles as roadworthy. But when it came to reselling the cars, um, she and others hid the rebuilt status by putting an auction sticker over the line where it it said, you know, that it was a rebuilt vehicle. So um, that's been an ongoing case since 2018, but um, that she, I'm not sure of the status of the two other people involved, but that she 
did plead guilty to one count and is scheduled to be sentenced in July. But this has no, this has no uh, apparent connection to the issues that the stuff going on with the drivers that, that you're reporting on, right? Separate, separate incidents. Separate other than it's also involved in, in the auto, you know, in hauling vehicles, like in moving and selling vehicles. So is there, is, do we know of, are there any, you you had mentioned that some of these drivers had said that they had um, submitted statements to federal investigators. Does that indicate to you that there might be an ongoing investigation um, into this, uh, into this couple? I reached out to the FBI and they said that they couldn't comment on anything. Um, But I've heard from three drivers who said, who claimed that they submitted similar stories to um, agents, agencies, federal agencies um, to try to bring awareness of what was going on with, especially with kind of the human trafficking part where, you know, some were enticed to come over here and, use an immigration consultant to help them with the paperwork and the interview to get to the U.S. And, and pay, and some, you know, they borrowed money from family and friends because they were going to make all this money, um, you know, make up to $3,000 a week, which is more than some would make in a year in their home countries. And and so they just really thought that they would be able to pay that money back. And it just didn't happen. You've been listening to Long Haul Crime Log from Freight Waves. You can find more episodes by searching for Long Haul Crime Log wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like us, why not subscribe and maybe tell your friends. And we're also on Twitter now. Our handle is Long Haul Crime. And anyone out there who has a story to share, why not send us a note at crime at freightwaves.com. Tune in next week for more stories from the dark side of trucking.